Well, God bless you, everybody. Wonderful to be with you. We praise the name of the Lord our God. And so the song exhorts us to do that forever. In this day of uncertainty and changes by the moment, that's one of the constants that's a mooring point for us today, tomorrow, and throughout eternity. For those of us who are Christians, that's what we'll be doing. That's what we are to do. We are to praise the name of the Lord our God. You know, that doesn't mean his technical name. It means his character. And so we pause to praise him always for his attributes, his perfections. He is perfect in all of his perfections. Nobody else is. No pastor, no governmental leader, nobody. Only the Lord Jesus, and that's why. He's a fit source of our praise. I hope you're not getting tired of praising the Lord our God in this very, very difficult day. Well, it's great to be with you in church, even under these unusual circumstances. I and you value the church. I'm sure that's the case. I must confess to you, I, I didn't always. I was not raised in the church. And even after I became a Christian, uh, I didn't have high enthusiasm for the local church, I'm ashamed to say. I was actually a missionary overseas in Germany, and I wasn't fully engaged there in the Lord's work. But when my time there was over and I transitioned back to the States, I had a hard time connecting with the local church. In fact, uh, my wife... Uh, rebuked me about it. She was raised in the church and saw its value, and I didn't initially. I didn't get it. Frankly, in uh, comparison to what we were doing in the mission field, I actually thought that the church was a bit watered down and lukewarm. Uh, so that was a terrible and prideful attitude on my part. Soon, I became aware of the fact that I really, really, really needed the church, and I want to talk to you about why the church is important, just in case you need a little persuasion in that regard. And so tonight, I wanted to talk about this topic, why go to church? Now, I'll tell you why that thought came to me. We're not actually in church right now, are we? I, I, I don't know what your situation is. I'm here, you're there. You may even be in your pajamas, I don't, I don't know. So we're not actually coming together to church, and we haven't been in the last few months. Now, we are meeting together, and isn't that great, Sunday after Sunday, to hear the marvelous preaching of our wonderful pastor, Pastor Matt. And so that's wonderful to be here, but understandably, we don't have our full complement of members yet. For good reason, a number of folks are choosing to stay home and worship from afar, perfectly acceptable, by the way. But one day, we all yearn, we're hungry for the time when God, as he sees fit, will lift this coronavirus and we can be safely in each other's uh, company in full assembly. A little concern I had, though, is when we do that, um, we may have come to be so comfortable with this electronic means of communication, we may ask ourselves the question on Sunday morning, why get up and go to church? Why don't I just watch a recording thereof at my convenience later? And I could understand that. You I mean, sometimes church is a hassle. And when you go to church, 
uh, sometimes you run into people, well, who you don't like, or maybe who say or do offensive things. That's just the way it is. And so the way our mind works, if your mind is like mine, we're prone to ask the question, why go at all? Now we have at our disposal this capacity to view the service, any service, in the comforts of our home without the discomfort there may be in interacting with others. I mean, after all, you could say, the church didn't save me. I suppose some people think that, but that's not biblical. The church didn't save me. Jesus saved me. Therefore, since I accepted Jesus as my Savior, I'm already his. I'm already saved. Therefore, why do I need to go to church at all? So I want to talk about that a little bit and just to begin with, let me offer this answer to that question. It's this. The local church, this church, Sagemont is a local church. The local church uh, is the visible expression of the universal church. So when you think of church, it has two aspects. Here's the first. It has a local aspect and a universal aspect. The local church is part of the universal church. The universal church is that invisible body which consists of all those in all times and at all places who are part of the body of Christ by their faith. That's the invisible church, the, the universal church. But it is formed in local churches which are visible. And so the local church, like this one, is the, the only visible expression of the universal or invisible church. I'll tell you why this is important. Unchurched people, unsaved people, don't know of the universal church of Jesus Christ unless they can see it. They don't know of the invisible worldwide body of Christ unless it's made visible by its members congregating together locally. So the local church is living proof of a loving God who has saved people in every place and has put them together in local congregations. So the local church is where onlookers look in order to see God's people. If someone, for instance, is wanting to seek after God, he probably is not going to come to my house or yours. That person is probably going on Sunday. That person is probably going to look to a local uh, formed body of Christ like Sagemont Church. He's going to look for a local church where he assumes he will find God and God's people. Therefore, the local church, and you and I being committed members of it, is very, very important. So when people, when God's people like you and I get up in spite of the inconvenience and make our way to the local church on Sunday, we are giving visible expression to the otherwise invisible universal church. Now, this reminds me of a story I once heard. Every Sunday morning, without fail, an elderly man would get up and be seen walking to church. But everyone on the block knew he was entirely deaf. He was unable to hear a word. He couldn't hear the songs at his church, the music, 
nor even the sermon. So once a curious neighbor wrote to him a note uh, asking this question, why do you spend your Sundays in church when you can't hear a word? And the man answered, I want my neighbors to know whose side I'm on. And I know you and I do as well. And therefore, going to church is a visible expression of our connection to Jesus Christ and to others who are connected to him. When we get up and go to church, even though there may be a song you don't like or the temperature may not be to your liking, I'm telling you, when we get up and go to church, without a word, we are declaring to people, and they're watching, we are declaring to them whose side we're on. We're on the side of the head of the church. And so for Christians in every location, gathering together, when we do that, we're declaring whose side we are on. Now let me tell you something to make you feel a little guilty. In the entire New Testament, if you don't trust me, you can read it for yourself. That's not a bad idea. In the entire New Testament, there is absolutely no record of anyone being a member of the universal invisible church who is also not affiliated with a nearby local church. The whole concept didn't even exist. If someone embraced Christ by faith and immediately was ushered into the family of God, the universal church, it was normative for that person also to affiliate with a visible local church. The New Testament, in fact, assumes that everybody who belongs to Christ belongs, will belong to a local assembly of others who belong to Christ. Which leads me to this point. The church meets together. Should be an obvious statement, but maybe not so obvious. The church is a body that meets regularly together. Let me just do a brief survey of some verses to prove this point. Acts 14, 27. When they had arrived and, notice, gathered the church together. The church is an a, uh, an institution that meets together. No, it doesn't connect only electronically when possible. It connects literally. Look at this one. Acts 15, verse 30. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having, you see it again, gathered the congregation Together, see the church is a body that meets together. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when we were, look, gathered together. Can you see I'm not making this up? This is a repetitive theme in Scripture. Are you a member of the body of Christ? Then you should be an active, dedicated, devoted member of the local body of Christ that meets together. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18. For in the first place, when you, look at this, come together as a church. 
don't let me make you feel bad for not being able to do that now. Uh, this pandemic has created an abnormal situation. I'm just wanting to encourage you when the abnormal gives way to the normal, and I believe it will, hopefully sooner rather than later, please don't get so comfortable watching us online. Come here. We need you. Declare to onlookers whose side you're on and come here and be a blessing to the rest of us because the church which you belong to is meant to meet together. How about this final verse? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. Therefore, when you, you see, meet together. And so I think I've made the point. It's not an option. This is the whole nature of the local church. It consists of people regularly meeting together. So whenever Christians are within range of each other in the New Testament, they meet. They don't isolate. They got together, and this they did regularly. In fact, it was inconceivable for folks in the New Testament days to do their Christian lives alone since their father put them together as his kids. Now, because we are so focused as Americans on our individuality, that's a strength and also a weakness, since we're so individually minded, the idea that our Father wants us to meet together as a corporate body in order to bless us together as a corporate body, that's very hard for us rugged American individualists to assimilate, but it's true. Let me show you this. It's in Ephesians, great text. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and on. Blessed be the God and Father, notice, of our, that's plural, not an individual, corporate body. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed, notice, us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on, not just me, on us in the beloved, in him we, not just me, not just you, in him we together have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness, notice, of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on me, sure, on you, absolutely, but much more precisely which he lavished on us. Folks, you got to work at this. So do I. The Christian life is not just about me as an individual. It's about us as a family of God. God intends to bless us as a corporate body. And when you and I stay away from it, I'm telling you, we're going to miss out on God's blessing. There are blessings to come uniquely in, un in union with Christ when we are in union with those who belong to Christ. 
their corporate blessings, which we will miss out on if we only pursue an individual private experience with Christ. There are simply blessings that he intends for us to have together, not just as individuals. So not only are God's blessings bestowed to us in corporate fashion in church, so too are our God-given responsibilities. And so in the Bible, we often see these two very relational words. They're these words, one another. And those two words remind us of our responsibilities to each other as God's kids. In fact, the words one another uh, uh, occur in the Bible many, many times. Here, for instance, are a few instances of the occurrence of those words. Romans 12.10, be devoted to, see it, one another. Romans 12.16, be of the same mind toward one another. Romans 13.8, love one another. Romans 14.19, build up one another. Romans 15, 7, accept one another. And this final one, Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now that takes a lot of explaining to do. That's for another time. I think you get the sense of what that means. That means be warmly disposed towards one another. Please register some delight in being in each other's company. Give someone, a fellow Christian in church, a uh, wholesome, authentic greeting indicating you're glad to see them. That's what it means. By the way, we can do that stuff even during this day of social distancing. But I'll tell you what we can't do. We can't do one, not even one, of these one another's in isolation from one another. No, we cannot do it. By definition, they can only be accomplished, these one another's, and by the way, they're not suggestions. These are commandments. We cannot obey these commandments except we be together. Now, I'm only saying this because soon the day will come when we can be together without restrictions, it seems to me. And I hope, therefore, you're ready to go. I hope you're living with great anticipation of the restoration of the full assembly of, of our local body and our full-orbed ministries from children all the way up to senior adults. Lots of good stuff, some of which we've had to put on hold. Soon the day will come when we'll be able to release those to our whole believing community, and we want you to be a part of it. I want to tell you something. Um... I really can't say I'm a faithful follower of Christ if I don't value what he values. And I want to prove to you that he values the church. Take a look at this passage. You're familiar with it. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, now we use it about marriage, but I, that's not my application for now. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also, here's my point, loved the church. And you know, he proved it by doing what? He gave himself up for her. The, uh, 
the um, analogy of marriage is used, husbands and wives, that analogy, that metaphor is used to represent Christ's weddedness. He's our heavenly husband. Uh, to us, we be his bride. And he loves his bride, which is the church. And so he always wants the best for the local church to such an extent that he gave himself up for it. Now, listen, I cannot say I'm a mature follower, a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ if I'm not loving what he loves. He loves the local church. Hey, think about this. What if you told somebody, hey, I really think a lot of you. In fact, I, I, um, I love to hang out with you. Can't wait to see you, to chat with you. I'm so glad to know you. But... I can't stand your spouse. How do you think that person would take to it? Well, in essence, when we stay away, refuse to commit to, refuse to support the local church, we're in essence saying the same thing to the Lord Jesus, our heavenly husband. We're saying, oh God, I love to meet with you privately, to sit at your feet and pour over your word. I love to pour out my heart before you, but I can't stand your bride. You see? I don't think the Lord Jesus would be pleased with that. And the text here in Ephesians continues. Look, so that he might sanctify her. That's the church. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You know what that implies? Um, the fact that the church will one day be this way implies that the church is not yet this way. And that's why some people stay away from church. They look to the character of the church now and they say, well, there are hypocrites there, true. There are people who don't like me, true. Uh, there are people who um, uh, live inconsistent lives. Yeah, true, true, true. This verse is implying, yes, 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 the church now is not yet what the church will be. One day, we're told the church will be that which is characterized by no spot or wrinkle. In fact, one day, the church will be entirely holy and blameless. Until that happens, we're not. We're in process, but God is not finished with us yet. So if you say, the reason I'm not going to church is because of my observation of all these flaws and imperfections, I say, of course, you're right, but we're in process, and so are you. You know, the church is referred to as the body of the spiritual body of Christ. Admittedly, the spiritual body of Christ, you and I, we're not flawless, we're not blameless yet. We have plenty of spots and wrinkles. But I have a physical body. That's not exactly what it used to be either. It has imperfections. I mean, the other day, night, I don't know what happened. All I was doing was sleeping at the time. And I hurt my wrist in the process of sleeping. I know this because it woke me up, and the next day it persisted. I couldn't even move the goofy thing. Now, folks, even though my physical body is 
flawed and imperfect. I'm not ready to get rid of it yet. And you shouldn't, we shouldn't be ready to give up on the spiritual body of Christ just because it has spots and wrinkles. Folks, one day we won't. Though the church sometimes disappoints, and that's understandable, uh, we must get a real vision of what the church is going to be in the end, and that will encourage us to stick with it now. So as we draw to a close, let me just share this with you. The now church, the now church is not perfect, but you must not give up on it because the not yet church will be. The now church is not perfect. Don't give up. The not yet church will be perfect. Not my words. We just read that in the text. One day we'll be presented by the head of the church. Having been washed by the water of his word, we'll be presented without spot or wrinkle. We will be the glorious bride of Christ presented to him without flaw. We're in process now. That's the final product. Invest in the local church. You and I will get a good return on that investment. Now, in closing, let me just share this a very profound phrase, not mine. I heard someone say it. The world at its worst. These are pretty bad days worldwide. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. Let's get together as soon as we can. Until then, let's pray together. Let's meet together this way. Let's continue to financially support the local church as so many of you have so faithfully done even during these challenging times. Let's be visible proof of a loving God who has called out of the darkness into the light an assemblage of people of all kinds, males and females, old and young, black and white, and every age, to form us together in local bodies of Christ to be visible proof of the existence of a universal movement known as the Church of Jesus Christ. Dear friends, the world at its worst needs to see the church at its best. Oh, God in heaven, thank you so much for saving us, not into a vacuum, but into your body, consisting of many members, diverse members, beautifully, wonderfully diverse members, each of us on an equal footing, each of us loving you, each of us being part of the forever family. Oh, God in heaven, in these days of the questioning of all kinds of things, let us not question the importance, the critical importance of the local church in this day more than in any other. When institutions of other kinds are proving to be quite disappointing to many, let it not be said that the institution of the church disappoints any. Oh, God in heaven, Help us to love and value what you love and value, the bride of Christ, of which we are a part. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.